I hated track in high school with a passion, <laughs> but I was in a small town. So you had to you run track to play yep. football. Yeah. They just made you do that. Mm-hmm. So, and then two days came and all that. So, so I learned the hard way that you have a lane assignment. And if you're running, depending on what race you're running, you have to stay in that lane. And so I also learned too, I have to run my own race. If I keep looking off to the side at what everybody else is doing, I fall off my pace. Mm-hmm. I can't keep my rhythm. I can't keep my pace. And so I've, I've brought that into my life as I've gotten older and realized <laughs> living life's a lot like high school track. <laughs> Stay in your lane and quit looking at what everybody else is doing and run your race and be confident in that. This is where I'm right in the middle of the lane, right where God's called me to be. When you're confident in that, you don't have time to judge what everybody else is doing. Welcome back to the interview podcast from Millbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. The interviewpodcast.org is where you can find all the conversations that we've had over the years and also where you can support the show. We are funded solely by the value for value model. That says we create the content, put it out to you with no barrier to entry, and you choose the value you get out of that. If that value is monetary, click on the donate button and send it back our way. All donations are very much appreciated and welcomed. Today on the show, uh, we're talking about spinning down, leaking buckets, and a whole bunch of other things, including some rock and roll. Pastor Jimmy Pruitt from Bridge Church in Fredericksburg, Texas is here. Also, the co-host with his wife, Annette, of Living Up in a Down World. Livingupinadownworld.com. It's a great conversation between the two of them about life, especially doing life as pastors. Had a great time hanging out with Pastor Jimmy today. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Let's jump right into it. How long have you played gu- guitar? Since uh, sixth grade, I picked up a guitar, fifth grade. There's a, some local bands. I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and there was some great local music there and some local rock bands that were really good. And... Uh, so a lot of those guys, as a side gig, they taught guitar lessons. So we ended up getting a guy who was a really hot player at that time, and he showed us the tricks. And me and a friend of mine took took guitar together, and I stayed with it. He put his in the closet for years. <laughs> he started playing now as an older guy, and so we still chat every once in a while. But I played in garage bands, and then uh, up until I was at the end of eight, yeah, when I right when I at the end of my senior year of high school, I got just radically saved, just radically impacted by the gospel. And uh, first thing I thought was, well, I'm going to sell off my I had a '69 gold top Les Paul. No, Deluxe. did I you sell it? Uh, like a dork, I did. Ugh. Who knew though? You know, when you're that age, you don't know what you have, no. and nobody knew what we had back then. So. <laughs> All of us would be rich if we kept all the gear we bought through <laughs> True. the years. True. Instead of trading it off like baseball cards. Uh-huh. But anyway, I thought I was going to have to get rid of all my gear as a Christian and found out, hey, there's this new thing called Christian rock. It started in the early 80s. So we jumped on it. So who uh, who stood out? 
to you at, the, at that well, point? Back, like what? back then it would have been like sweet comfort band, Brian Duncan and those guys, man, they were, they're California guys, Calvary chapel guys. And, uh, they were doing stuff no one else was doing. And then of course, Larry Norman coming out of the seventies, mm -hmm. but then Petra came along. Oh, Idle cure later striper, you know, all these bands started coming out and then there's became this wave white cross was another one. Mm -hmm. So there was just this wave of music that started coming out in the eighties and it just took off. They really embodied kind of the, the hair band world. On, totally. on the Christian side, they made that. Totally, a, a they did, you know. Unfortunately, we Christians were uh, tend to be more reactive than proactive, so we were kind of <laughs> copies and sometimes bad copies of the world. And uh, But, you know, it all influenced me, and then I kind of got the best of both worlds. I grew up playing ACDC and Bad Company and Boston and all that, and then all of a sudden I'm a new Christian, but this new thing called Christian rocks come along. So it's like, it was a perfect timing for me to be able to play and do what I love to do. And yet feel like I was doing it for the right reasons. So did you get, I mean, I guess, depending on the, the Christian division you were a part of, did you get right. pushback? Like, Oh, that, totally. that, that, that's, that's the devil's music. Totally. Totally. I, I was the kid coming in these churches where they were bringing us into youth groups and some occasionally on Sunday morning. And I'm the kid with all the gear, the heavy gear. I was playing lab series L five amps back then. And uh, Gibson Les Paul and had a makeshift pedal board back then. It wasn't, they weren't nearly as fancy as they are now, but they, they did the job. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget an older man after church. He shook a Bible in my face. I mean, old King James Bible mm -hmm. shook it in my face. And I thought he was going to say, thanks for coming. Cause he, well, he walked up to me. I thought, Oh, I was going to say, appreciate what you are yeah. doing. And he shook the Bible in my face and said, show me in this Bible where there's Christian music, you know, rock music. And I said, well, sir, no, no disrespect, but I can show you a lot of places where we're called to make a joyful noise and play loud and crash cymbals and, but I don't mean you disrespect. So that, that was the welcome we were getting <laughs> from the older generation. And then here we were, these young kids that were new in Christ, but love God, love music and, and some things, really cool things happened. And then fast forward to now in my church, I still play lead guitar on the worship team and, and we play all the new stuff, Bethel, uh, everything, gateway, all those, all the new stuff. And without fail, once a month, at least one or two older people that are in their seventies now, which is the Woodstock generation, mm -hmm. they come to me and they say, we, you need to turn your guitar up. I can barely hear you. They want oh, more, and more solos, more <laughs> solos, Pastor Jimmy, <laughs> we want you to the shred. but remember who they grew up with. This is, this is the Woodstock. Mm -hmm. generation. Yeah. So everything's flipped now where the older generation wants it loud and they want it proud. So I'm just like, Okay, it all comes full circle. <laughs> right. It's hilarious, actually. So we have fun doing what we do. Years years ago, when I was young, we did uh, in Oregon. We a group of us put together a series of concerts. We call it Rock for Reason, and it was <laughs> the whole point was we're going to create an environment for kids to come and have a a, a drug free, alcohol free, mm -hmm. positive right. environment. And so we would bring in crazy punk bands, which I have never been a punk rock really deep into it, but I had some friends that were, and we had one couple at our church who just were livid that we would have the audacity to, to encourage kids to go out there. And the, I remember one Sunday they came up and they kind of ripped us apart for it. 
Just, you know, uh, after service, you just, you know. I know the drill. Ripped a new one. And right afterward, an old guy came up, and he was actually part of a, a, a quartet, you know, old-style quartet that was local. And he said, I just want you guys to know that you're doing the right thing. He's like, oh, keep it cool. up. And I thought it was that's so cool because the people yelling at us were closer to our age. I mean, they were they were right. probably in their 40s at the time. Um, and this guy was, well, he was he was retirement age at that point. This was, you know, 25 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Uh, still kicking today, but it was so cool. And it was great for us because it helped validate our mission, at least, you know, what we right. were doing. Absolutely. You know, God sends these encouragements along the way. You know, you might get a bunch of bad news or whatever, especially when you're pioneering something. Because mm-hmm. this was all new. I mean, everything was new. And we were in, you know, traditional churches, you know, dragging our gear in and, you know, looking like a garage band. <laughs> right. They're just like, no, you know. And, mm-hmm. and yet our hearts were so pure in it the whole time. I mean, yeah. everything was pure about it. And so um, <clears throat> we would come in with our hearts open and the beauty of it is that God worked, God worked through it. And we saw a lot of teenagers. We used to set up on the main drag in my college town where I went to college. Mm-hmm. I went to Bible school, Christian college in central Texas. And we would set up on the drag at night when all the drunk kids were driving around the drag and we'd play concerts. And while we're playing music and rocking out, we wrote a lot of our own stuff. And, and while we're rocking out, all these young people start to pull up in their trucks and their cars. They'd sit on their tailgates. But we had other students that were in college students ready to go out into the crowd and, and, and share their faith and talk to these young people and mm-hmm. engage them. And we did that on many weekends through the, the time I was in college. And those are some of my best memories from college was doing outreaches to young people because we always had such a heart for the next generation. Right. And uh, music was a great way to capture their attention and transfer the good news. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Good days. So you were born and raised Texas? Texas, West Texas, up in the panhandle of Texas. Lubbock, home of Buddy Holly, Mac Davis, and Joe Ely Band. She had no Lubbock. chance. <laughs> and, uh, there was music all around, which was cool. And also... Yeah. My parents or my mom's side of the family, they were, they were all blue, you know, flat top guitar players and banjo players and bluegrass. Mm-hmm. And they would come uh, over to my cousin's house who lived down the street every once a week. And they, all these old players would get together and not, I'd never forget being a kid and watching them open those cases, whether it was a saxophone or, or a guitar or a banjo or a bass and the smell of that case, mm-hmm. the smell of that instrument just got in my blood early. So as soon as I got into late elementary, I started asking for a guitar. I was like, <laughs> mom, dad, I want a guitar. I want a guitar. Wait, wait, we'll get you one. Wait. And I, so they would take me down to Lubbock music center or Jen's house of music there, which are still there, which is crazy. All these years are still there. Is crazy. And, uh, and I would walk in and it looked like heaven to me mm-hmm. as a kid. Cause I saw the walls of guitars, walls of instruments. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play music. And so I picked up a guitar and just, just till my fingers bled, learned how to play that thing because I just, and to this day, kid you not, if Annette was here, she'd validate this every day. I literally pick up at least one of my guitars off the wall or two or three rebuilt one yesterday on my, on my Sabbath. And I constantly still play, still tinker, still enjoy 
because uh, music, God used music to reach my heart. And um, to this day, it's still one of the most important parts of my walk with God. That's cool. <laughs> um, you've been a pastor for some decades. 38, 38 <laughs> years. I'm still standing. I'm still smiling. I still love what I do. What uh, get to do this? What drove that move? Other, than, I mean, I, when did you know that's where you're going? Yeah, I get where you're going with that. So, brand new Christian at 18 years of age, one week before I graduated from high school, over the hood of my pickup, a youth minister led me to Christ and my best friend, and uh, and then I totally crashed and burned for the next <laughs> nine months because I went to Texas Tech to go to college, and then there's all these rush parties, mm-hmm. and you know, you're just it's a crazy environment and and that's kind of defaulted back. But the difference was I didn't like it anymore. I hated it. I'm like, what am I doing here? I, I don't even enjoy this anymore. So that's when I began to notice something really changed in me. I mean, it was drastic, was not raised in church. My dad was atheist, not, not a mad atheist, just atheistic. Uh, my mother was a dormant Christian nominal, never went to church growing up at all. Every once in a while, my grandmother on my dad's side would take me to church or I'd go with a friend, but that was it. I had no real baseline for what Christianity was other than curiosity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't, I didn't not believe in God, but I didn't believe, I didn't know him. So I just had this kind of weird, uh, yeah, I think God's real, but I didn't know anything. So by the time I gave my heart to Christ at the end of my senior years, a lot of stuff led up to that. But once I did and stepped over the line, about nine months passed. Then after that nine months, I literally realized, okay, I, I got to get serious. And I found a youth, a youth slash college group that was meeting. And I found out some old friends of mine from school back in the day were a part of that group. And some of them were leading it. And then they found out I played guitar. As soon as they found out I played guitar, they started throwing guitars at me and go, Hey, well, well, do you want to play in our music group? Or do you want to mm-hmm. play? we do this worship and what they were doing, they were writing their own music, which was back then would have been cutting edge. Mm-hmm. And I just jumped right in the middle of that. And again, God using music to draw me in and find me a place where I felt like I belong. So that's how it all started. So immediately I was playing in a Christian uh, kind of a early Christian rock band. I made up out of the church and those kids and the youth minister was, uh, was a lead singer, of course. And so it was all happening very organically looking back on it, I see God's hand totally in it. So in the middle of all that, every once in a while, I'd, we'd be playing somewhere and they all knew I was a new Christian, but I finally had really caught fire. I was excited about it and growing. And they would say, Hey, Jimmy, uh, why don't you share your testimony tonight at, at our gig? I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, whatever. What do you want me to say? Just tell them what God's doing. Okay. I mean, it was so pure and so raw. And then I would start speaking and I just felt this incredible, incredible energy and passion and fire and excitement and people responded and it didn't take but a few of those to realize wait a minute as much as I'd love to play guitar for a living the rest of my life I think God's really calling me to speak he's calling me which was bizarro because in high school you couldn't pay me to do a book report <laughs> really literally oh yeah <laughs> I took a zero on my senior year book report and I told my teacher, sorry, no disrespect. I just can't talk in front of these guys because we all mocked each other. We were Mm -hmm. merciless. (laughs) 
I played sports and all that. So we were, you know, it was brutal, brutal, brutal environment. So, but that was me. So I knew it was God because suddenly everything shifted. Hmm. And then that's when it kind of took off for me. And I just said, I got to go, I got to get in college and pursue this. And so I happened to be in a Southern Baptist church at the time. I didn't find out. I didn't even know I was a Southern Baptist till somebody told me. So brand new Christian, the guy. Oh, hold on. Hold on. You didn't know. What, what does that mean? Like th- that was the, the people that you were working with were that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What happened was the guy who led me to the Lord was a Southern Baptist youth minister. And then I started going to church there, got baptized there, but I didn't know how I had a name. I didn't know there was a category <laughs> for this stuff. Other than I'm, Christian. I'm that's how I knew I was all this. It's yeah. like, Oh wait, I'm a what? Southern Baptist. You mean there's more than one? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a thousand <laughs> of them. So, you know, I, I was learning all this in real time, very organic, very raw, very innocent actually. And yet in the middle of all that, I was growing. I was mm. so hungry for God's word and loved the presence of God. And, and so that's how it all started for me. Then once I realized that I, there was something that happened when I spoke, I'm like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I was hoping there'd be room to keep playing guitar along the way. And the beauty of it is I've, I've been able to do that the whole time. So I'm kind of the weird pastor who's the lead pastor and the lead guitar player too. So I love doing it and I'm glad I get to, I told a lot of friends of mine who are in the music industry because we lived in Nashville for years. And so I know a lot of people in the industry and I'm like, when COVID hit, you know, they all stopped playing. I said, I still have a gig every week. Right. And, I get to <laughs> and so it was fun. That's it was fun cool. times. Good times. So when did you jump into, like, I assume you then went to Bible school, right? I did. I went to college and then I went to seminary. Okay. And then at that point, where did you, where did that take you? So the whole time I was going to school, I actually was serving as a youth minister. Uh, Jumped on pretty quick, not about two years after I started college, I was invited to be a youth youth pastor in a very small town, actually a lake community. And uh, it's where it kind of just got my, you know, cut my teeth on what student ministry was about. I knew from the beginning, God had called me to be a senior pastor. I don't know how I knew that. I just was one of those things. I knew, you know, I say, you know, and you're knower. I knew it. Mm -hmm. And however, I knew I needed to learn and grow. And so I felt like student ministry seemed like a great path. I had a great love for young people. And so I immediately started doing youth ministry and just fell in love with it. And then it was interesting because the music thing suddenly came up and said, ah, this is a tool for reaching the next generation. And so we jumped all over that. And that was when I found the marriage between worship, music, and student ministry. And so I, I was in a band in college the whole time. We had always had bands that we were a part of, and sometimes we traded players like baseball cards, and we'd mix and match these bands till we found great combinations. But we would do these what we call fifth-quarter rallies. So after a Friday night football game, which in Texas, that's like culture. It's I mean, Super like Bowl, yeah. Culture. <laughs> that's what you oh, do. Yeah, Friday night lights. So and our, our church happened to be right across from the football field. So we would – throw these huge fifth quarter rallies we called them and we'd have our band playing we'd had lights and banners and food and man there'd be hundreds of kids show up to these things and it was just just an exciting time to see how we could use music to reach young Mm -hmm. people and so it's always been a part of that and so 
that's how things begin to develop. Now, through the course of all of that, in the back of my mind, I knew I would be a senior pastor someday. So I, all my pastors that I served under as a youth minister, I went to school on them. I mean, we would spend time together. I'd ask lots of questions. Uh, my mentality was, I love doing student ministry, but I know this is not my end game. Mm-hmm. So I need to sit at the feet of my pastors and ask a lot of questions, even though I was still in seminary and going through school and all that training. uh, That was more the academic side of it. I wanted the practical side of it. And so I was always very close to the guys that I served with. And I was that young person that, that wouldn't stop asking questions and they were all meant to learn. And they always, I had great, great experiences in those early churches um, where they saw my heart to learn and grow and saw that I was called to this. So we would, I'd spend a lot of time with my pastors and learning and growing, loving people, learning how to be boots on the ground to Mm -hmm. use a familiar phrase from no agenda, learning to be boots on the ground as a pastor and a young person and getting to know people and seeing what really mattered in the bigger picture. So you've been in this thing for some years. I mean, almost as long as I've been alive. So um, <laughs> almost four decades, <laughs> not to make you feel old. Um, <laughs> I think that's a fascinating Testament because we were just down, my wife and I, when we came and toured your church, we, um, mm-hmm. every chance we get, we go to gateway. Cause I, Morris has been my favorite preacher for decades Mine too. and Mine too. Uh, just, I mean, I, have had a chance to be there enough times that it's it's a thing we do when we're down there we go there and one of the things that fascinates me about him uh and maybe i'm just not digging enough into the interweb but it seems easy when you get to that level of reach of influence Mm -hmm. that scandal tends to pop up sure um you know, thinking of Hillsong, uh, Driscoll, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of, if we could probably just pull out a ton of names just in a couple minutes yeah. thinking about it, of Damn. scandal. Um, he's somebody that I've not seen scandal. And it it's fascinating to me. And, you know, you've been in this for this long. You know, I haven't dug into your whole past, but appears, you know, absent scandal. What do you do to keep that? I mean, what, what, that's got to be a deliberate attempt. Very much so. Uh, years ago, Annette and I made a made a kind of a, I don't know if it's a covenant, statement, a mantra, whatever. And we said, first of all, no no secrets, no leverage. If there's no secrets, secrets the enemy has no leverage mm-hmm. on you. So we'll never keep a secret for one another. So if we blow it, blow it, but we talk about it. Second piece of that was um, we've always said this and presented as United Front. It's Jimmy and Annette, mm-hmm. not Jimmy or Annette. We're very intentional about that. We've been very blessed and not everybody gets this, but in for 28 years, we've been able to serve together at whatever church we were, whether we were the senior pastors or we were both on staff of these churches, we have always been able for 28 of our 30 years to work together, which is just almost unheard Mm -hmm. of in this world. So we count that as a very, very special blessing, but we guard that as well. So anybody in our, in our uh, sphere of influence and who knows us is uh, it's Jimmy and Annette. And if, if they see us separate or not together, it's like, we're, we're weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like bizarre. Yeah. And so we've been very intentional about that. 
uh, not only to protect ourselves, that is a part of it, but the other part is we feel like that that our uh, one of our responsibilities and privileges is to model biblical mm. marriage and model what it looks like for a couple to be healthy, yeah. not perfect, but healthy and growing and ever learning, ever growing. So that's our heart. And so the people that are around us and know us, they're like, no, it's Jimmy and Annette. You don't get one without the other, mm-hmm. except for when she walks the hills out here with her girlfriend. <laughs> but other than that, it, we're together. I heard about I'm that. Not, not doing it. It's brutal. Yeah, Tina's involved in that as well. Right. Like, uh, y'all are crazy because wow. we do live in the hill country. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, we are together. And so we, from the very beginning, we were very clear about that. And then we're also we're, if you've ever listened to our pot, we're super transparent. We just tell it all, you know, we just say the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, uh, we just don't hide our scars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've both been through a lot in our own lives personally. Um, and here we are 30 years later, a marriage, 38 years in ministry. We're both 61 and we still in some ways feel like we're just getting started. We're having a blast. That's so cool. Love what we're doing. Well, now, you have, now you have history and how to, how to do it a little bit better. Wisdom comes with a price. Yeah. Oh, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was listening to yesterday's show, uh, living up in a downworld.com. Uh, living up, I, I play, you play the jingle. You got it on your little machine. Don't get down when you're saying the worst. Cause the last will be first. What a day I'm telling you. That is a killer, killer open. I mean, J- Jeff Smith, the genius that he yes, is, right. phenomenal. He is, he's a genius, really. <laughs> yeah. That was a first first run, too. Because uh, How do you get better on Adam, that? How do you improve on that? I don't know. Me, me, and, uh, <laughs> me and Adam were brainstorming, kind of whiteboarding what we wanted to do yeah. with the show when we, when we were talking about starting Living Up and Down the World. And he said, yeah, I got this guy, Jeff Smith. And uh, Nashville session guy, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And he had done the the jingle for um, Curry and Keeper, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. I'm like, that's so good. So the first question Adam said was, so what do you want the vibe to be? I, and without hesitation, <laughs> I said ACDC. Right. I, I want guitars. <laughs> yeah. I want rock and I want it have an 80s vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, I just want to capture. So he, he reached out to Jeff. Jeff sent this back as a first pass, a little bit raw, raw version than that. And I was like, uh, nailed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Yep. So when Tina heard it, she was like, all right, I want a new jingle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want something that's, that's got more awesome. rock to it, but her, their jingles. So hers is, I said, no, 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 you have a great, yours yeah. is great. Your bumper is fantastic. Keep it. But anyway, that's, that's how, that's how that came about. So one of the things I like about it, I was listening this morning to yesterday's show, um, <clears throat> is in the pastoring world, it's not typical to show your cards, shall we say. And, and, and I think there's a lot of, uh, I, I think a lot of that's taught. You got to be careful. You, you know, you, you're representing the Lord and there's the different things that you're doing. And so you got to be, yeah, so let's be fake. right. Exactly. So you got to put on a show. Um, you know who Tim Ross is? I do. Um, as my son, actually my 16 year old sent, my wife and I have a podcast he did. He's got a show called The Basement, I think. Um, and he was talking about <clears throat> this new show he's doing, and it is going to be him raw. And I was like, because knowing the whole no agenda world, knowing 
uh, Adam and Tina's journey into their show and their, the point of that is just openness and truth and transparency. Mm -hmm. You guys jumped on that wagon beautifully to do the same thing. And it's cool with you guys because you are, you're playing two sides of this because you have to be the, the pastoral role, but then you're also human. And I like that this is a human element. And one thing Tim Ross said, he's like, this is going to be us real. And that means it's going to get raw. May not be pretty or fun or happy or super clean all the time. It's going to be real. But he's like, if I'm in the in the pulpit, I don't have that freedom. I don't have mm-hmm. that. I, I am, and I, I really I hadn't heard it ex, uh, laid out like this. He's like, I am, at that point, I am speaking as an ambassador for God. It's my job to relay God's word, not my own. And so that's not the place for this. This podcast is the place for that. And I, I kind of feel like you guys are rolling down that same kind of world, and I love it. I appreciate that. I would say yes and no on that. The, where I'd give pushback to, to Pastor Tim, but not, not in a negative way, mm-hmm. but just say that may be your lane that God's called you in is to kind of, you know, but if anything we've learned in, for me, 38 years and at 28 in this is that people need to see us real and raw in the pulpit as well. They need to see that the pastors that they are participating with mm-hmm. and, and serving God with together and we happen to be called in the leadership place, but they need to know that we're approachable. And what we found is if, if we would never hide our scars, that people would feel safe coming to us with their stuff. Mm. So, um, so we don't hide, we don't hold back. In fact, what we do on living up in a down world is still us. And what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays and Thursdays in, in the ministry is we're still us. Now we're not intentionally raw or gruff or weird right. about right. it, but we are honest about who we are. Mm-hmm. And some of that has come through the years with us being comfortable in our own skin and our identity in Christ, knowing who we are. And once you land on that and you realize, man, God loves me. The, he loves me the same on my worst day as he does on my best day. And because of that, you have freedom to be real and freedom to be you. So for us, and this is not, I don't think this, I wouldn't say this for anybody else, but, but the call on our lives and our particular ministry orientation is that we're going to be real. Mm-hmm. We call it real, raw, and relevant. <laughs> we're just going to be real. <laughs> we're going to be raw, but we're going to be relevant because we want to connect faith, you know, making faith real for real people. And so, um, yeah, I did seminary. I could have gone on for a doctorate, but I was like, no, I'm ready to get boots on the ground and do this. And, uh, and even if contemplated off and on through the years, but to be truthful, we, we love trying to distill the truths of God's word that were written to other cultures, Eastern culture, Eastern book, Mm -hmm. Eastern mentality, you know, and now translate that and distill it down into simple uh, principles that you can live by and actually apply to real life. You don't need a, you don't need a seminary degree to read the Bible and follow God. And so that's been our heart and our MO for all these years. Interesting enough, Craig, there was times that we were out of time. In other words, churches weren't ready for real raw and relevant. Oh, right. Yeah. 20 years ago, they mm-hmm. were like, Oh no, no, no. You need to polish that up. Don't tell people that you, you've <laughs> that been you struggle, right. Yeah. Or that you've had trauma yeah. in your life. How dare you? No, no, no. You're a child of God. And I'm like, well, yeah, 
but I'm also Mr. Dumpty and Annette is Mrs. Dumpty. Mm -hmm. We have had a great fall and we're in shards on the ground. (laughs) So let's be real about it. All the King's horses, all the King's men couldn't put Humpty back together again, but God can. So that's our story. We, we, we tell the stuff, but we always end with a, but God, Mm. yay God. And uh, so we feel like for us, it's connected with a broader swath of people and a broader demographic. And I love the fact that people can come to us and it happens all the time and say, I'm so glad you told that story about, you know, this crap happening to you in church that I'm so glad you said it because I've never told anybody this, but, Mm. and they'll share stuff with Annette now that they've never shared publicly or much less with a pastor. And because we've, we've created a safe environment for being real. That is unique in, and and I think it's becoming more, more around nowadays, but like when I was younger, it was not acceptable to Mm. admit that you might have emotional struggle or even like, um, depression like that that was oh, almost sin oh that was taboo yeah you're you're not praying enough you're not reading yeah. your bible enough craig so act together. what has flipped in the in in the world to cause that to be a more acceptable um topic i think the reality of it it's been like a floodgate that opened uh over the last 20 years where well let me uh, there's several pieces that well, let, let me give you one clear one We've seen so many ministers fall, Mm -hmm. crash and burn. And it's interesting how we're always shocked by it. Right. As though they're 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 not human beings. Even though we've put them on this crazy pedestal and said, Don't fall off. Oh my gosh. I tell don't put me on a pedestal because I will jump off before (laughs) you think it's too high. I've learned to let go of the if you're going up in a hot air balloon, jump quick Mm because it's a lot shorter (laughs) fall. And so um we've watched so many through the years, the last two, three decades, three, four decades of men that you would have thought and women, you would have thought, man, they're, they're the, they're the next thing to God. I mean, I I could never be like that. And then watch them fall. Mm. And then we're shocked and we're dismayed and we're, we're abhorred by it. And yet because of this unrealistic expectation, what we've created culturally, this, this idea of perfection if they were able to tell somebody, oh my gosh, I'm struggling here. Oh my gosh, I can't sleep at night. I've got insomnia because I'm so depressed or I've got anxiety. They had to, they almost like bootleg. They had to, they had to get help offline and behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And the tragedy of that is if we're teaching our people to do that, that they can't talk about what's going on in their lives. For one thing that was really good for me as a young person, I got to work at a children's home. It was a, a, a children's care facility for kids on levels one through four, which in the social work field, one's pretty mild, four gets pretty severe. You go to the number five, it's very severe. So I was a caseworker at, at one point, and that was one of the best trainings I had for working with church people ever. <laughs> because these were kids that were all traumatized, they were broken and shattered. And I ran therapy groups and I got to learn a lot about the therapeutic world and just how the proliferation of mental illness was mm-hmm. not just in these kids. It was in my fellow employees and friends and in myself. And and I, as we got through all of that now as a pastor who has the therapeutic background, to me, we, we always talk about mental health issues. I mean, especially through COVID 
and the number that uh, the scam demic. Oh, did I say it out loud? I'm sorry. What? The, the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, here we go. We have to get the alarm. <laughs> so, uh, so that did such a number on everybody. But really, what it did, it didn't create it. It just unearthed what was already there. It brought things to the surface. It just, yeah, it already, really did it bring, open it up. Yes. In guitar terms, mm-hmm. it amplified what was already there and brought it out before the, before all that happened though. Um, in fact, uh, about a year before that I invited four, um, counselors, LPCs onto our platform for two Sunday morning. We do two services on Sunday morning. So I sat on a stool, I had four other stools and I had all these, uh, counsel, professional counselors up on the platform. They had different, they were in different arenas in the work. I wanted to all have a little different perspective. And I just, I just shot question after question. I interviewed them live on the platform about the need for um, an awareness of mental health issues in the body of Christ. And uh, I had no pushback whatsoever. In fact, there were so many people that came to us after that Sunday and said, thank you for saying it out loud because I've been seeing a counselor for four years. Mm -hmm. I've been on lithium. I've been on, I mean, the list goes on and Mm -hmm. on. And people saying, but now I feel like I can talk about it. And I said, you absolutely can. This is a safe place. We we have a sign on our wall that says no perfect people allowed. <laughs> I mean, literally. And I'm doing yeah. a series right now called No Perfect People Allowed. That's the sermon series I'm in right now. Taking off of Pastor Robert Morris's, uh, when he said, talked about being divinely human. Mm-hmm. We're all divinely human. Yeah. And so we're, we're fully divine in moments where we have, we're rock stars and then we're fully, we have fully human moments. So taking that and I, I built this, this series off of that mentality. So that's, that's the idea. We've got to be, I call it outing the elephant. There's an elephant in every room. Let's just get the start talking about it. Right. Absolutely. It, now, when I was first, we've been there seven and a half years. So early on, people were shocked about my transparency and not everybody likes that. In fact, a lot of religious people left the church. I was going to say, did you get people leaving? Oh yeah. But you know what was beautiful? God backfilled <laughs> that with people who needed help. Yeah. And needed and, and were ready to talk and ready to, to own. I, I call it becoming an owner. Let's just own our stuff. Let's just own it. Be an owner. So now we've built a culture of that and safety. So no one's ever surprised. Mm. Annette may sit on the front row horrified when I say certain <laughs> things, you know, like, Oh, don't say that out loud, but I do because that's the stuff that connects with people's hearts. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been the biggest impact that you've seen in the last, well, I guess seven years, but pr- probably the last three in reality. Um, wow. You know, great, the, great question, Craig. the, you know, the pandemic really illuminated. And I mean, I say mm-hmm. that, that, that we'll call it whatever um, the, oh, the right. response to it is, is I think what we have to, to go to because whether or not this thing, you know, was here or not, it doesn't matter. It's not the question. It's what we did with it. Right. Um, exactly. The result of, and I ask this to everyone, it seems like now, but the result of the the government's decisions to prioritize people's work, to prioritize their value. Um, as a pastor in that, what what was the biggest thing that stood out as, I guess, a positive and maybe an and or a negative the positive is that it gave us, to use a very overused term right now, it gave us the opportunity to reset some things, kind of like calib- recalibrate the scale a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, and what I mean by that is we had this strange shutdown in culture for, you know, however many weeks. 
uh, we only stayed down 12 weeks and then we started meeting again because I had four doctors in my church saying it's going to be worse to not meet on people's hearts, their psyche than it will be to risk a super spreader. So we started meeting after 12 weeks and I, there was a mixed, mixed reactions to that. Mostly very positive. Um, what, was there any, meeting. was there any local government uh, edicts that were out or was it pretty much do what um, you will? They, they simply encouraged us and I have good relationships with our city council and our mayor and whatnot. And, and we went ask questions and in all honesty, and they were, they were like, if you'll just take certain precautions, just so that, you know, just so you you're know, trying. <laughs> right. And that's what we did. And we never had a super spreader in, in incident. So it worked out great for us, but what it, what it did in terms of allowing us a reset, it, it, in a positive way, it, it helped people realize there are things they could live without mm. the, this, the, the constant go, go, go of our culture, this, you know, live on adrenaline, uh, live on caffeine, live on, you know, whatever stimulant stimulated life, hypervigilance people realized, in fact, people didn't know how tired they were until they were forced to rest. And so there, there was that there's like a, the, you know, it's like if you pull a slinky way long yep. and then you let go of one end, you know, it's going to catch up sooner or later. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what happened. We were so stretched culturally through just life had spun up so fast that we needed a, we needed to park. We didn't need to take the foot off the gas pedal. We needed to park the car. And uh, I hate how it all came down. And I, I'm very vocal about that unashamedly. But what it did on a good side, it caused people to stop and think, stop and reflect, stop and what's really important in life, what's really needful and what's not, what's excess, what's critical and primary. And I think, I think if we, if we were able to help the people in our circles navigate that well, I think people came out okay. But there are a lot of people who did not come out okay. People that are still living, spun up, still living in crisis there. I love what John Eldridge said about this is that our, we've suffered cultural trauma mm -hmm. and what he calls um, cultural fatigue. People came out of it very tired, very disillusioned, very traumatized. Um, so there was, there's the positive of you get a chance to kind of recalibrate and reset. The negative was some people were terribly traumatized by the whole incident because of fear. And the fear mongering that happened, obviously, through all of that, which we've all talked about that ad nauseum right. as well. Yeah. And and that was a direct result of the response. Sure, of and, course. You know, so that, that was fixable. Like that, but, you know, or living, avoidable. That part. There you go. Living up in a down world mentality is mm -hmm. like, okay, let's find let's find the good. Let's dig out, let's mine the gold in these hills, because there's gotta be some somewhere. And I feel like we've we've found some things there. Um it didn't hurt our church at all. Actually, we grew through that time. It's crazy. Do you um, think that's because people saw a place they could actually connect with people? Yes. Um, we had people that, that came to us during that time and said, I know I'm not from your church, but is it okay if I come here for a while? <laughs> really? I'm like, Yo, oh, it happened all the time. Wow. We had an influx of community people whose churches refused to meet. And my, my caveat was this, yes, we, you're welcome to come ride with us, but please, when your church opens again, would you go back? 
go back to your church, mm-hmm. go back and make hand. I'm the president of the ministerial association in our, in our community. And I have a, a huge heart for the other pastors. Um, and we had differences. Obviously we had differences. We come from all, it's not just the other side of the aisle. There's like 50 aisles. So, yeah, I mean, we have all these various views, but, but we're able to come together under the banner of Christ and, and for the greater, greater things, you know, keep some of our opinions to ourselves. some. And then, uh, so I, I told them, I would say, you know, you're welcome to be here, but, but you know, when the gates open again and they will, you know, when they do, please, please go back to your home. <laughs> and not all of them did. Some of them fell in love with our church and fell in love with our honesty and our transparency and the realness and our, our music or whatever. And they stayed. And so we've got a lot of folks from that has stayed with us, you know, and, and that wasn't something we anticipated or intentionally um, manipulated or capitalized on. Um, but we can't tell them to leave if they don't want to. So well, like, that's just it. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. When I moved to South Dakota, it was my first real deep dive into uh, a community that was full of Catholic and Lutherans. Interesting. So is ours. In very much yeah, the same. in Oregon, where I'm from, and I think they were there. It's just we were. I was very. Uh, I grew up as a United Pentecostal Church (UPC). Gotcha. So very. Yeah. Um, Fun. and oh yeah, <laughs> and you know, so we didn't even consider the other people around our community. Right. Um, well, moving here, it was really a, a shocker. And someone asked us because we didn't. I mean, we go to an Assembly of God Church now because it's the closest thing to what we are. Um, right. And there were people like, oh, do you go to the Catholic church? No. Oh, then you must go to, you know, this other one. No. <laughs> well, are you even a Christian? You know, is there, <laughs> what, what, what are you then? Wow. Uh, oh, you're crazy. Perfect. Oh, yeah. You're that church. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I do think a lot of, of the church attendance is strictly tradition. Sure. And it's done because of duty. This is what you're supposed to do. So That is true. One of my quests over the last several years has been to to, to figure out, other than tradition, why is it so valuable and important to come together regularly? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Man, to me, that's an easy question. It's connection is protection. Mm Mm-hmm. We need each other. If there's anything that the that the uh, pandemic taught us, wait, did I say that out loud? The pandemic, excuse me. All right, Adam Curry, you got a bell. <laughs> I do. My, mine's real any, though. <laughs> if there's anything, if there's anything we learned is that we need each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, hands down, people realized even if you're not a follower of Christ, you're like, I'm still okay. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, belongings, you know, one yeah. of the number one. You know, we, we need each other. We're hardwired for connection and relationship. And boy, if anything, that showed us our need for each other. Um, so to me, coming back out of that, it's like, oh, no, people come to church to connect. I don't think that's a bad thing because not that we're trying to turn into a club or anything, but there is a sense of family that happens. You live in a small community. We're a small community. I actually had an offer the same week that I came here to go be in Austin. 
And I thought, gosh, I just came out of Nashville. Do I want to go live in another <laughs> right. Nashville? Austin's kind of a twin city to Nashville. Or do I want to go finish my run, so to speak, mm-hmm. in a smaller community where we can get to know people and we can be known? And and we at that point in our life, Annette, myself, and then our, our youngest daughter that was still at home with us, we all talked and prayed about it. We all came back to say, we want to be in a community where we get to know people and we see them at the store. We see them at the, any school functions or we see them at a fundraiser or we see them at, in the community or at the coffee shop or the restaurants. And you know what? After being here for seven and a half years, I mean, I can't go to HEB, which is our local grocery store here in Texas, because I'm doing counseling on aisle four, right. aisle seven, <laughs> aisle 12. I just came for yeah. pickles and gallon of milk. So, <laughs> so I mean, we have to sometimes actually do the drive up thing now yeah. or, or I'm going to be in there. But I love that, too. I love going into a coffee shop. I'll be meeting two of my staff tomorrow because I take my staff to coffee every week and individually so we can get to know each other besides church and just be friends. And so I've got two two tomorrow, and no doubt we'll see people we know. Mm-hmm. And we love that about being in a community. And so that it's the connection piece, yeah. the connection factor. People need to get connected to something that's bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think that last bit is, is the key connected mm-hmm. with something bigger than themselves. And when you, when you learn to serve others as a priority, mm. you can't win. You can't not win. At I, that. I so agree, Craig. I went to a meetup with Adam to one of the no agenda meetups over in Austin. And uh, I didn't know what to expect. And he said, I said, so what, Buckle what, what should up. I expect? <laughs> yeah, what's going to happen here? Right. And he said, well, first of all, people are going to actually know who you are because, uh-huh. you know, our, our relationship. And I said, well, that's cool. And he said, uh, the other thing is, he said, it might feel a little bit like church. <laughs> we showed up. I kid you not, for three hours, I had conversation after conversation. People knew I was Pastor Jimmy mm-hmm. from Living Down World, so they listened to us, some of them us, to us as well, because of Curry and Keeper. And, uh, I had so many God conversations with those guys and it wasn't like me evangelizing. Right. It was just conversations and it was so good and so healthy. Mm-hmm. Now I met some folks that had some pretty whacked out views, you know, but we <laughs> laughed and we had fun. And I, so when Adam and I are walking back to the car, I said, I get it now. I said, you're a pastor. I said, dude, you're shepherding people. He said, those are my peeps. Those are my people. I said, man, I get it. Totally get it. Yeah, and you do have the ones that will leave, and that works. Yeah. It's okay. It's a, ah, it's a fascinating right. model. We, we hold things. You can see my hands because you're watching mm-hmm. me, but we, 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 do, we do this thing with an open hand. In fact, I, I have suggested uh, in love, sometimes people need to find something else. They, if, they're, if they don't feel like they fit or they can't align with the values and, and the core values of who we are, instead of staying and being upset, go find your people. Find your tribe. And if it's not here, man, mm-hmm. some great churches down the street, and I can help you find one in love, yeah, in the right way. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the door very nicely. <laughs> so, in I'll, love, <laughs> it, right? I'll lovingly show you to the door. Um, <laughs> does a lot of the the difference stem from the things that we, the hills we're willing to die on, and it's possible that we have, as people created hills that we want to put our flag in that shouldn't be? Craig, that is a loaded question, brother. It's the truth, though. 
if there's anything I've learned the older I got, I've gotten is I lo- I know less now than I've ever known in my life. And I'm very mm-hmm. comfortable with that about God. Mm-hmm. I'm the older I get, the the bigger God gets for me. Not the smaller, the bigger. He's more vast. He's more beyond. And so what I'm finding that is that people I, I in fact I've recently had a conversation with someone and he was animated. I'll just put it that way. And I looked at him, I said, because he was spun up because he wanted me to jump on a political issue with him and go on the radio and go to Austin and do a protest. And I said, I said, listen, and I called him by name and, and in deep, deep love and respect. I said, when I was young, I died on a lot of hills. And I said, you know what's on those hills today? And he said, what? I said, my dried blood, my DNA. I said, I didn't change the world. I might have made a little difference. That's good. But I've learned to pick my battles better. But I've also learned the lane that God's called me to run in. And so when I'm running in my lane, I don't waste time looking at what other people are doing in their lanes. I trust Jesus and other people that if they're doing that work, whether it's the political arena and the civic arena, the church arena, life arena, if they're running their lane, then they need to be finding the life, joy, and fulfillment in that. And it is not my responsibility. I hated track in high school with a passion, <laughs> but I was in a small town, so you had to you run track on yep. football. Yeah, they just made you do that. Mm-hmm. So, and then two days came and all that. So, so I learned the hard way that you have a lane assignment. And if you're running, depending on what race you're running, you have to stay in that lane. And so I also learned, too, I have to run my own race. If I keep looking off to the side at what everybody else is doing, I fall off my pace. Mm-hmm. I can't keep my rhythm. I can't keep my pace. And so I've, I've brought that into my life as I've gotten older and realized <laughs> living life's a lot like high school track. <laughs> stay in your lane and quit looking at what everybody else is doing and run your race and be confident in that. This is where I'm right in the middle of the lane, right where God's called me to be. When you're confident in that, then you don't have time to judge what everybody else is doing. So when I get judgment towards me or our church or our style or whatever, I just, it's water off a duck's back these days because I'm in my lane and your, your criticism's not going to knock me off my lane. I've got a race to run Hmm. and I don't have time to argue with you about yours so so i'm just going to keep running so for me yeah to answer that question my gosh um man stay in your lane run your race find joy in it because i would bet that the majority of the denominations if they were willing to set aside the things that don't really matter would be very similar and could probably get along I'm finding that to be true in a town like ours Mm because our town is like yours. Very strong Catholic, huge Lutheran population Mm because we're German settlements down here. And so all this area is German. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even our signs, I don't know if you notice our signs rolling into town, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's German. Which my wife took German in high school, so she was loving it. Oh, and all the street. I mean, I can't pronounce half our street names. (laughs) And when I do, the German folks look at me like, oh, don't even try, you know. And so, so being in a community like this, our church is made up of Catholics and Lutherans and Methodists 
handful of Baptists. And then we got our, our wild-eyed crazy maniacs, you know, mm-hmm. our cares maniacs. And, and I love every one of them because they all bring something unique to the yeah. table. If you think about what heaven's going to look like, you got to, got to get a little long sighted for this, but you got to take a step back and say, heaven looks like a tapestry from the front of it. It looks beautiful. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. But if you've ever flipped over and looked at the back of a tapestry, it's <laughs> not like, so good. <laughs> oh my, it looks yeah. like chaos. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how could the back of that look so out of order and chaotic? And then the front of it looks so beautiful, like a masterpiece. That's the body of Christ. And so to me, I don't care what label you wear when you come in the door. And I'm not even asking you to check that label at the door. In fact, we even tell people, they'll say, are you a non-denominational? And we'll say, yeah, that's how we're listed in the phone book. But really, we're more interdenominational because we're just like, bring your stuff. Maybe I can learn from you. Yeah. Man, tell me more about this this Saint this, this uh, Saint Francis guy. Man, he's I liked his love for birds and nature, and that's great. Tell me a little more about Brother Lawrence. I mean, you know, fifteenth, sixteenth century monk who had a deep in, in, in walk with God. Tell me more about. I mean, Luther, I mean, mm-hmm. who nailed these theses to the door and started a revolution. I mean, tell me more. So. My, I take a posture of learning with, with our various groups that, that come to say, I'm not here to tell you you're wrong or missing it. Let's, let's build on the foundation you have. Let's build a house on that foundation. So that's kind of our approach to all that. And uh, we find that we, exactly what you said, Craig, we have a lot more in common than we think yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And it, as a rule, do you, when you're working in the ministerial with the other pastors, do you feel some hostility toward that? thought process or are they coming around? You know, we have a very unique group of people, uh, men and women in our community. In fact, when people come in and visit our ministerial meetings, they say, this is almost unheard of. I don't mm. know that I've ever seen a group of more unified people. And we're quick to say, well, we do have differences. I mean, there are things that, that we don't agree with, but we're not mean spirited about it. Yeah. We just recognize we're probably not going to see this situation the same way, but I still love you. It's not a deal breaker. In fact, what I love about our ministerial association is that we've learned that we can disagree, but not have to be disagreeable. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. We can, we can agree to disagree and still love each other because here's, if there's anything I've learned over the years is I'm wrong tons of times. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> if I go, in fact, I tell people anything I preached five years ago or yeah. back, please burn, destroy, wipe it off the internet. Uh, I've grown since then. I've right. learned things since then. And so I, going back to your die on the hill thing, I mean, <laughs> we need, we need to die on a lot less hills because yeah. we may be learning. We, if we die on the hill, we may be stuck there forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, great, great people in our ministerial alliance, but we do have some differences and we've had some tension points. Sometimes leading that meeting can be like herding cats, <laughs> uh, no doubt. And, uh, and we've had some hot topics recently with our school system. Uh, they were trying to bring uh, this community and schools into our local school here. And we saw a lot of la- inclusion language on their website and it turned into a brawl. I mean, just, uh, in the school system. So and then where I, did I that come from? 
Well, okay. Interesting enough, our community, while it may appear to be very conservative because we're small and we're in Texas, mm-hmm. it's actually quite progressive in its thinking because <laughs> we have a lot of ex-CFOs and CEOs and a lot of wealthy people here. A lot of people who've led large companies, Fortune 5, they all retire here. This is a very wealthy community. In fact, in Texas, we have the highest per capita of millionaires plus in Gillespie County. Mm-hmm. So think about what all that money and power and success brings into a community. Right. So it brings some, some odd dynamics. It's not your typical town of 13,000 people. So having said that, so what ignited the whole community and schools issue started with school books and pornography in the books. And we had a group of parents that mm-hmm. diligently and very intelligently went into the libraries, pulled the books and sure enough, it was all there. It's horrible. It was blatant. Really? Obvious. And they, they started to show up at school board meetings and then they got castigated and vilified as being these angry parents, but they were actually good parents trying to protect the kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so obviously guess what comes into the ministerial meetings? You know, <laughs> right. All of a sudden here it is in our face. Uh-huh. I'm like, I thought that was happening down the street and now it's happening here <laughs> in our room. And so, but in a good way, it created this really, we had two very tense meetings and I'm sitting there as the leader going, do I let this play out or do I interrupt and redirect? And I really, I really felt like we need to let this play out. Uh And I let, I let them go at it. I mean, I just let them back and forth. I mean, it was, it was a, you had these conservatives sitting over here and you've got these more liberals sitting over here, more liberal theological and and, and at the end of the day, I said, all right, now, now here's what we're going to do. We're all going to exchange numbers right now. Mm-hmm. If anybody's free, we're going to all go to lunch together. We're going to go out and eat and hang out. And we're not going to talk about this. We're going to, in fact, I, I did this thing with the group as, as it got more heated. I said, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, do you know her in 3D? And he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, do you know her story? What he didn't know that the girl that was defending LBGP, uh-huh. yeah, all that yeah. The alphabet, the alphabet, yeah, who was, defi- yeah who was defending that, she had been horrifically traumatized. And oh, geez. As a child, sexual molestation for years by a, a quote friend of the family. Mm. Um, she had been horribly abused. They had no idea, so they're they're only judging her from a political sense. Mm-hmm. And you're on the other side of the aisle, so you're one of those. So this right. broad swipe, I said, the minute we dehumanize one another and we objectify one another, that's the minute we can become slanderers toward them and not even take into account their life. Mm. When they found out what she'd been through, two of the guys that had been the most almost brutal in the meeting went over to her, invited her to lunch, and a whole group of them all went to lunch together. Now that's, that's when you see the power of the gospel working Mm -hmm. and pulling away this, the heat, but it came on the heels of me saying, we have to see each other in 3d. We need to learn each other's story. So what they did, they went to lunch and they all told their stories Mm. and they came away with a greater understanding of why the, why behind the what, the, what is, I believe this, but let's get behind that and find, why do you believe that? Mm -hmm. Nobody takes time to ask that question anymore. What's the why behind the what? Well, and why yeah. do you believe it? I like that that approach of of stepping back, you know, because it's not saying, "Oh, we agree with you and we celebrate your decision." Now, it's we need to. Well, it's seeking first to understand, really, absolutely, and absolutely. that is key. And it's missed I'm just so much. I'm it in different language. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Adam and I, we, we talk about this term spun up. People are gotten so spun up mm-hmm. and, um, and how can we help people take a step back from the fray, from the tornado so in Texas, we call it the F five. It's the big tornado. How can we get people to step back from the F five and, and, and de-spin? How mm-hmm. can they wind back down to where they can actually have a reasonable conversation without all the emotion, the mm-hmm. pain, the trauma, most of these emotional outbreaks you see on, on media stuff where they show two <laughs> sides screaming at yeah. each other's face. A lot of those are trauma informed responses, mm-hmm. TIR trauma informed responses. Yeah. These are yeah. people that they're not even mad at the person standing from because they don't even know them. They're mad period. It just happens to be, this is a triggering event, a triggering issue. And, until we can begin to step back and get away from the issue and say, why is this triggering me? Why am I spun up? So that's a lot of mine and Adam's conversations are let's quit going after people Mm -hmm. and let's go after the system. Let's go after the issues Yeah, and let's depersonalize it. So we're going after issue, not a human being. So from your perspective, what has changed in society to where we're, we're now seeing the hate and vitriol that probably existed all, all the time, but what's changed to make it so visible now? Is it social media? I think social media has, again, amplified things. Um, it's already there, but it, it's given people now a voice who didn't have a voice. And we're all much, and you know this to be true, everybody knows, we're, we're all much bolder behind a keyboard than of course. we are in person. If I was sitting with somebody having coffee or a beer or a glass of wine, and having just a good conversation. And then we say, well, what do you think about this? And you'd be like, whoa, okay. Um, do you want me to be honest? And she wouldn't do that with a keyboard. You just go <laughs> right. there. Yeah. You just <laughs> cut them up and mm-hmm. send a stupid meme or something, you know, just to, just to cut them down and show them. But in, in face-to-face communication, and that's the danger with social media. In fact, I'm about to bite the bullet and get a light phone. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm Are just doing it. I'm Stop doing it. My presses. wife and I both. I, I heard that it. on the show yesterday. Yeah, we're doing this little sabbatical yeah. thing, and uh, we're doing it. We're going to bite the bullet and push back from the from the craziness and uh, opt out for a bit. Well, you know, we're Pastor we're Jimmy, if you off. need uh, a rest, a place to get away from the people, you know, uh, South Dakota's welcoming for a couple it's days. A Come on now. Place, brother. Are you in the Black Hills? No, we're on the east side. We're almost in Minnesota. Just far enough out of Minnesota to avoid gotcha. that crazy. Gotcha. Um, but we're not quite in the in so the, you're uh, in the plains, the high plains. Yeah. Yeah, we're almost exactly yeah. 2 hours between like middle between Fargo and Sioux Falls. Gotcha. And okay. Then, so yeah. we're 2 hours yeah. from both of those and three and a half from Minneapolis. So we're close to to stuff, but we're also out in the middle of flatland. So when I was a college student, we did these little student-led revivals and they took us up to um powell wyoming cody wyoming yeah thunder basin where the coal mines are mm-hmm. not far from devil's tower and this this old farmer guy says hey boys all three of us he said hey boys i'm gonna take you for a little flight you want to go you want to go fly on an airplane really we, we thought, man, we're <laughs> awesome. a big old nice airplane yeah it's just this tiny little cessna that was probably 80 years old at the time <laughs> he, we get in this little tin can of an airplane and we're like what have we done he takes us up and he flies us around Devil's Tower. And he's and and when he wants us to see something on the ground, he just turns the plane sideways. He didn't like go out from it. <laughs> hey, look down. Right. All three of us are about to throw up. Nice. We're about to lose our lunch. We're begging this man to land the plane. So he tries to find Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. And he can't find it. 
we're just buzzing all through the hills. And if you've ever flown a small airplane over the over the Black Hills, it's just turbulence. Oh yeah, constant up and down. I mean, that was the most horrifying experience of my life. But uh, <laughs> anyway, there's my little experience with the South Hills and down South Dakota. Excellent. <laughs> well, anyway, here crazy it's world, a, right? Yeah. No, that's it cool. Really um, is. so you're what what spurred that on for you to step back from the crazy is it part because uh in the the churchy world a sabbatical and i I think in corporate life too it's kind of that way it's where you step away from the day-to-day process of it all and just recharge that's the purpose correct it is and but it wasn't something that i I have to tell you, I had to really warm up to the idea because Sabbath, yeah, I see that scripture, man. That's that's a gift from God, and and we've stepped into that. We do it every Monday is our Sabbath day, and and it's become a cherished day for us. I now look forward to it and not fighting it like mm-hmm. I used to when I was younger. But I have to say, with the idea of taking off eight weeks, my board of directors came to us last year. I have great board of directors in our church, and they were like, Man, we love you and Annette so much. We want we want y'all to be healthy. You've been here seven years. You've never really <laughs> taken a break other than a little vacation. We want you to take a sabbatical. And I, I cringed. I mean, literally, the I, because our church is we're in a growth period right mm-hmm. now. We got a lot of new people coming. Things are happening. Or we have a busy schedule. I mean, it's just a fun time. It's really exciting. And uh, I was struggling. I was like. Yeah, that's great. Inside, I'm going, what? And they said, for eight weeks, two months? What if everybody leaves before we get back? What if things blow up while we're, I mean, I had this, I immediately was, had a barrage of mm-hmm. fear. And, uh, and so we, we planned it and, and Annette seemed excited. I was struggling. And then as we came up on it this summer, we both backed out. We both, one day we were like, I'm more stressed out thinking about this. Really? Uh, yeah, because our church, we've got new people coming. Mm-hmm. We've got good things. It's like the best of times. It's almost like most people go on a sabbatical when they're everything's falling apart. And then they then they come back and change jobs or something. Right. I mean, I've seen some bad ones. I've seen them not go well. But this was, no, we want you to go because things are going mm-hmm. good and because we want you to stay healthy, which I totally so appreciated my board. And then we're part of the Gateway network by mm-hmm. the way our churches we're a gateway not a gateway church we're part of the network and my connect pastor pastor eddie freeman uh who was just with us all weekend this weekend um he was like man he was all over it because pastor robert morris is all about rest oh yeah because you know he had some health scares mm-hmm. and he realized more he than a scare he should be yeah, dead. he almost died <laughs> right. he literally yeah. yeah and so you know that story mm-hmm. but so much so he realized he'd worked himself into the ground. Mm. He had not taken God up on his offer for rest and recuperation, restoration. So he's now he's passionate about it. So Eddie was pushing me on this thing. I'm like, man, I love you, Eddie. Thank you, pastor. But no, we, we can't. This is the worst time to leave. Too many, too many good things are happening. You, you like, said that out loud. You said, yeah, oh, thanks, but. Well, not quite that direct. I was a little more diplomatic. <laughs> And I said, you know, just not the, just not the right time. And then, and then he called me out. This is what friends do. I actually titled the show, you know, Mm -hmm. friends call you out. And he said, so do you think there'll ever be the right time? Mm -hmm. He said, do you think there's ever a right time to obey God? That's what. Ouch. 
man, I love you, bro. I should punch you out right now. But I love you. <laughs> right. And uh, we'll do it in love. <laughs> I, knew, I knew he was right. Yeah. And the funny thing is he stood that in front of my elders at our, at our gathering on Friday night. And I was like, he's right. So instead of getting mad about it, I, I woke up that I didn't sleep good Friday night. I woke up Saturday morning. I said, Annette, we got it. We're going to do this. We're going to move forward with our original plan. Told our staff today, well, we told them over the weekend, but then today we mm-hmm. spent time this morning in our staff meeting talking about what that's going to look like. Our guys are great. They're competent. I'm no worries. Um, the hardest part for me was just me just yeah. pulling away from what I love to do. Well, it, it also I, kind of puts the responsibility of keeping of, of the church um, <clears throat> maybe back on God where it might belong. <laughs> right. It's a trust issue, brother. Totally, All the way right? through. It is a total trust yeah. issue. I know that. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like the Lord has whispered little things to me. I don't hear the audible voice, but just in my own heart, I hear these things like have these thoughts of, do you trust me? Mm-hmm. You say you trust me. Do you really trust me? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I do say it, but maybe, maybe I don't as much as I thought I did. So Prove this it. is a test for yeah. me. Take this. This is this, good for me. Take these sticks and this sword and some fire <laughs> and then, and your kid. Don't I'm owning it now. Brother. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm yeah, owning it. That's though, awesome. Really. I mean, I'm owning my, my reticence in it of saying, Ooh, I don't know. And saying, gosh, maybe I'm a control freak. Didn't mm-hmm. realize it. Uh, or I've got a control issue with this particular thing, but I'm willing to say, okay. And then the next person, you heard it on the mm-hmm. on the podcast, but Adam called me out on screen time. <laughs> you know, cause pastors are the worst. I'm not going to lie. We are the worst. We are addicted to these things, partly because we do connect to many of our congregation. That's what I tell that. myself too. Cause I mean, my whole business life is attached to this right. thing. So I, yeah. I constantly tell myself, you know what? I need it because- right. Right. So I totally to resonated with what you said. <laughs> so Tina, as you know, Tina uh-huh. Curry is doing a digital detox. Well, she's, she's, she's just an animal. 30 I mean, days. She, yeah. She's a real follower. She's really That's disciplined. That's very true. Stuff. Yes. She is. She's disciplined and man, you know, the 75 hard thing, all that stuff. I mean, she's amazing. And so when she stepped into this digital detox, I was like, okay, Tina, I'm going to school on you. So let's see how you're doing. So we've had some conversation, but we're going to get a little deeper about it. Mm -hmm. And she said it was hard at first. Mm -hmm. She said, I found myself out of habit, reaching for the phone, wanting to check, wanting to see, you know, I mean, comments, likes, any, you know, emails, whatever. And she said it was really hard. She said, but now I'm getting a lot of things done. Of course, she probably told you guys, I'm also eating the refrigerator out, you know, (laughs) I'm I'm eating more. So I'm having, I need to deal with that. But, but so it's presenting other things, but, so I just told her in, in love and fun, I'm going to school on you, but I know it's time. And, and when the other night when we were over at their house, we, all of us are on our phones and Adam, he's got his little, his little cute pixel eyes, <laughs> right. looks like Minecraft uh, phone. And, uh, and he said, yo, did you notice all of us are looking at our phones? I said, yeah, it's pretty bad. He said, he said, so what are we going to do about it? He leaned back in his chair and I, I knew exactly what he was asking because he's already did something about his. He's got a live phone. Yeah, he replaced it with something else he carries around all the time, though. Well, let's keep that quiet, but <laughs> Adam. He's doing good. <clears throat> oh, yeah. He um, really is come a long way, oh, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, speaking of Tina Curry, um, it is her fault that you and I are here today because <laughs> um, back, I she came on this show in, I think, June or July, maybe August of last year. 
and she had, you know, her, her career was in the nonprofit fundraising world. And so I, I, that fascinated me. So I wanted to kind of get that in there. And in the middle of that was her, like, she was just prepping, like really getting deep involved in the church. Um, Mm. And then she was, I think at that point, planning to get baptized. Nothing was done, but she actually, we Mm -hmm. had coffee with her in October last year, like the week before she was going to get baptized. So that was really kind of cool. Um, But one of their Curry and the Keeper episodes, uh, she had gone up to Utah and uh, actually ended up getting COVID uh, on her way home, I believe. And she made a comment on about her ride on the airplane. There was someone on there that she was not happy about. And she said, and I just remembered, be a leaky bucket, be a leaky bucket. And what it told me, and I told her this on the show, it, it convicted me. I've been, I grew up literally sleeping on the church floor. So I've known nothing else but being in, being a Christian and being in the church right. environment. And, but it convicted me because I don't approach situations like that with that mindset. And so then she talked to me about what that meant, and it came from one of your sermons. And so I thought, well, i got to get this guy on to talk about that. Because it's not that it's a profound concept. But it's a right. profound concept. It, it, it's an idea that we need to remember. And explain the con- your, your visual and why you have jumped onto this idea of being a leaky bucket. Well, it's like you said, it's super simple. I mean, it's, it's, I remember when I was a young youth minister in a small traditional church and always realized that some of my best talks and sermon talks were the children's sermon at the beginning of the service. Oh yeah. They, bring all the kids down <laughs> uh-huh. in the front. I'd bring my, I used to race bicycles like road race and I'd bring my racing bike in and the kids are like, wow. And I'd look out and the, even some of the adults were going, wow. Or I'd bring a guitar <laughs> in, you know, and talk about the different pieces of it. And I'd make an illustration out of it. And it, that's when I learned the power of visuals but not fancy visuals. We got real gimmicky in the two thousands and churches like flying helicopters through the church. And I brought a Kawasaki Ninja in the church, made the mistake of starting it. Hey, blew that's, carbon that's, monoxide through the whole building. That's not a mistake. Come on. That's cool. They didn't, oh, nobody it died. <laughs> it was right. funny though. I brought the motorcycle. I had a guy ride it in yeah. uh, and, and we played Motley Crue kickstart your heart. Nice. You know, the intro as they came in, that was a little over the top. Yeah. So I love the simplicity of a child's sermon. So, I'd ever once in a while, and I don't do it all the time. I don't do the gimmick stuff, but for whatever reason, uh, we were talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I was teaching it from the perspective that the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. Mm. And the people that are weird with the Holy Spirit were weird before they had the Holy Spirit. So <laughs> don't judge the Holy Spirit by people's weirdness. Yeah. Because that's something the enemies use to inoculate us from the very thing we need. And that's the person and work of the Holy Spirit, ministry of him. So that was what I was teaching. I did a six-month series on the Holy Spirit in our church because we have a bunch of Lutherans, Catholics, Baptists, Methodists. You, you name it, we've got them. And they've most have not had healthy teachings on the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit, person, presence, and power. So we spent six months on it. And during that time, this simple metaphor of getting filled up with your buckets, which by the way, are leaky because we have holes and cracks in us. Remember we're Mr. And Ms. Dumpty. We're, we're in shards most of the time and we're trying to navigate life in this broken state. And so therefore our, it's like an old bucket that's been in the back of a pickup and it's gotten sun baked and used and cracked. And so you can fill it up, but it leaks 
<laughs> so I had these two buckets up on the platform. And uh, interesting enough, they were two chlorine buckets. And on one side, it says corrosive, danger, corrosive <laughs> material. On the other, it says the name of the thing. And I kept hanging them on the pulpit. And it would say, the wrong. so finally somebody said, you know, I want to turn that around because it says corrosive materials. I said, well, there's a metaphor there, there too. Go, yeah. I actually used it later. But I took these two buckets and I would just, in a simple, again, like doing a children's sermon, I would talk about what are we filling these buckets up with? Cause mm-hmm. you leak out what you're full of all of us. I don't care whatever you're putting in. It's going to come the old thing in youth ministry. You'll remember this gigo garbage in garbage out gigo. Uh, so I'm teaching student and children's ministry uh, illustrations and the adults are grabbing hold of this. And I'm like, so everybody, I just, I just did it as sort of a side thing just to make a point. And for whatever reason, people caught hold of this leaky bucket thing. And it started to become a talk. It became a thing. And then I get a, an email, a private message on LinkedIn from Peggy Layden in Chicago, Illinois. I didn't know who this person was. She says, hey, there's, a, there's some famous podcasters talking about your church, your sermons in the leaky buckets are you serious? on their podcasts. <laughs> I'm like, who are these people in my church? And they said, yeah, it's Adam and Tina Curry. And I'm like, Adam Curry, that name sounds really familiar. And that was when it all began to come together of who they were. Mm-hmm. And then I began to, and then she sent me a link to Curry and the Keeper. And I listened to it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's re-preached my message <laughs> even better than I did it. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. You know, here's this young Christian re-articulating what she's hearing and learning in the, in the, in the language that people can understand. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I got to meet these people. That's how it all started. I didn't realize that was the connection. That's crazy. Oh, it was beautiful. I, somebody from Chicago had to tell me who they were in my <laughs> right. church. Cause I had, cause obviously Adam, because of the, doing right. no agenda right. on Sundays, couldn't attend, but he was watching it online. But Tina had made a decision to come to church mm-hmm. and by herself. And, and I saw this lady sitting there on the third, fourth, fifth row every Sunday by herself faithfully. But sometimes like it's hard to get to everybody sometimes. And, and we've a lot of hubbub going on after the service. And if I'm playing guitar, I'm tethered to the stage most of the time. So I couldn't get down to her, but one day I was able to talk to her and that's when this introduction happened. And then it just, I had pulled up a picture of Adam Curry from the eighties and I showed it to my wife. I said, did you know they're in a part of our church? And she went, I had such a crush on him. He has the best hair ever. And I said, well, he doesn't anymore, awesome. but still, I know, I know every girl in America had a crush on Adam Kirk <laughs> in the 80s. So that's how all this, and it was funny to us. So when we finally met Tina, it was when she'd come to one of our membership classes. And I said, Tina, can you come over here? And she was shocked that I knew who she was. I said, I want to introduce ourselves because we haven't got to meet. And that's how the conversation went with us. Then she said, oh, by the way, I've been, I've been basically re sharing your sermons on our podcast. I said, I know yep. <laughs> Peggy Layden told me. And she says, Peggy, you know, Peggy. I said, LinkedIn of all things. So anyway, so it was crazy, you know, little Keystone cop turn of events where you end up connecting. And so we, at that time we said, let's just go get, get dinner sometime. So like the very next week we all went out to dinner together. And what we found is that, um, it was just, you know, you meet people sometimes and you go, oh, that was a wonderful time. You know, maybe we'll do that again. Then there's other people you meet and you go, there's something here. Mm-hmm. This is, this is deep. There's, this is a God thing. And, 
that's how that's been in this relationship. The, the beauty of it is, is and, I, and I've told Adam this, I didn't really care for him that much in the 80s because all the girls loved him and he had great hair. So I was just like, eh, whatever. He didn't even play an instrument. And I'm a guitar player. He's, I'm a real musician. He's not. So I didn't like him. Not, not for anything personal, just I just thought it was all a big shtick that they were doing, and it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so when I met Adam, I didn't see him as a celebrity. I just mm-hmm. saw him as a guy. Mm-hmm. And so our friendship is built on that, that we're not, he's not a celebrity to me. In fact, I'm shocked sometimes that all the people know him. I'm like, really? He's that big a deal? But to me, he's just a guy. He's a friend, and he's a, and he's a guy who's growing exponentially in God. And it all started with this leaky bucket thing. And this con- these conversations over the leaky bucket and it's morphed into just a beautiful friendship that, um, and now of course we're doing the podcast because of them. We just did number 22 yesterday. So, I mean, we're just having a blast doing life with these guys. And of course, as he's progressed in his walk with the Lord, I've had pastors coming. So are you discipling him? And I'm like, <laughs> no, we're hanging out and drinking a lot of wine. We're having fun. If you call it doing life together is called discipleship. We're doing real discipleship. Well, the, the, the disciples, Jesus. they, well, you're not going to go that far, but they, I mean, they lived with them. I mean, it was, they were together. Uh, yeah. You do, you do life together. Life yeah. together. They, they were at a wedding and Jesus goes, Hey man, or Jesus mom says, look, you got to do something. This is about to be disgraceful. <laughs> this party sucks. <laughs> yeah. This party right. is lame. And he's like, it's not my time. She goes, yeah. when is it? And, you know, it's, yeah. So at his mom's behest, he turned water into wine, not only just bad wine, the best wine, even though Southern Baptists think it's not really fermented, which that's clueless, but, um, he <laughs> did. And, and so we, he, Jesus modeled what it meant to do life together yeah. and it meant to literally do life together. And that's how with Adam and Tina, that's just how our relationship is. It's not based on anything they can do for us or anything we can do for them. What's happening in our relationship is the normal stuff. It's just normal. And it's not celebrity. It's not pastor. It's, it's Jimmy, Adam and Tina. And mm-hmm. Ed. and then we have fun with it, you know, we just have a good time. And then whatever influence the Lord gives all of us through this stuff, we just take it with a grain of salt and enjoy it and enjoy the season, enjoy the ride. Yeah. They're beautiful people. It's a very small world when you really dig into it. After all. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind <laughs> it of <really> wild. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the ride at Disney. It's a small world after all. <laughs> so my four-year-old loved that last year. Oh, oh. that song gets stuck in yeah, your oh, head. Yeah. I'm regretting that I even said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Living up in a down world dot com. Um, and, you know, truly, those are a little creepy, those little characters in there. So. Stuff of nightmares. It had been jeez. Oh, it had been over. I think at least twenty years since I'd been there, and oh, so man. it was. It was weird to see it as an adult now with children is, through their like, eyes oh, now. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Um, living up in a down world is uh, your podcast with your lovely wife Annette. Um, every Monday is that correct? Yeah, we we or you try to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless we're on a vacation, which happened. Not after I get my duo, though. See. Oh, you're going to move on the road, huh? Yeah, we'll be able to take it and mm. throw it in the backpack and go. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Um, well, I appreciate you sitting down with me and chatting a little bit. Next time we're down in that part of the country, hopefully we'll get to 
definitely meet up. That'd be great. Hang out. Uh, and yeah, That's if you're on the road, you're bored. You know, in the next eight weeks or ten weeks, whatever it's going to be, and you would need a road trip. <laughs> you always people have ask us what we're going to do for yeah. eight weeks. Yeah, what and, uh, what is that? I mean, is it a a, a hermit world or? Kind of. Yeah. We're actually a complete disconnect from the church body, which is going to be a little difficult because my daughter works for us. <laughs> she does all things digital at the church. And so, um, and she's now the production uh, person now. Brian's moved back into student ministry, mm. shuffling the deck a little bit. But uh, so, yeah, so we've already had these conversations. Part of that was today of saying, look, guys, uh, you can't call us. Mm. Uh, and if you do, we won't answer. And so, if the building burns down, y'all all know that, you know, you know who to call, but, right. but we're, we're taking a bona fide real deal. Um, eight weeks off. We're going to disconnect. I'm doing a digital detox. I'll do a, I'll do a few devotionals online, which I've done for 20 years. I do a daily thing. On, is that a, like an emailed out product or is that a, like a no, video you talk to the camera? No, no, no. It's, it's a written thing okay. with, a, with, a, with a graphic. I've done it for 20 years and, and, just a daily encouragement. It's not a long drawn out mm-hmm. thing, just a daily thing. I may keep doing that and post it, but just not respond to comments or whatever, or I may do it once a week or something. I hadn't decided yet. It, to me, it's not a law. This isn't law thing. This is like, you know, what's going to be healthiest for me and what's, what's overkill. So I haven't decided yet. I'm bringing other friends in on that conversation. Say, what do you think? What would mm-hmm. you do? And so just talking. So, uh, the other piece of it is, is we're going to do something that we don't do well. And it's called, it's a four letter word called rest. <laughs> and I've lived pedal to the metal for my whole 38 years. Um, and the seasons of rest I've had were forced. So this is our first time to be intentional, say for two months, we're going to back off and we're going to get a good tan this summer. We're going to hang out. We're going to enjoy each other. We, we detoxed from television several months ago. Annette just really said, I think it's, we need to be done with this. And so we cut everything off and haven't missed it. Not once. She was the television person, not me, but we, so for her, she thought it was going to be a big deal. And it turned out not to be, yeah. we got our evenings back and our time back. So we're going to enjoy each other. We will, we'll do a little, our, our kids are going to come up from Houston. My son's a senior pastor in Houston. Uh, has been for now 12, 13 years. He's actually on his sabbatical right now. First one he's ever had. And so they're coming up. Uh, so the first week of our sabbatical, we'll have five guests in our house. So there'll be an F5 tornado. So it won't, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't even count that. But anyway, but it'll be sweet being with family. We yeah. may go back out to Nashville because our other kids live out there. We love going to Nashville. It's, that's a That's a really good place for us to get away. Oh, you were just at the, the uh, what, the K-Love Awards? Yeah. How was fantastic. that? How was that product? Shockingly amazing. Really? It was, Annette and I both said to each other, this is one of the best things we've ever done. It's three days of music. I heard over 30 artists sing. And, um, how was the production value though? That's what I want to know. Insane. Was it good? And now, now let me tell you. So we, we met in the Opryland big ballroom there mm-hmm. in the Opryland Gaylord. So I would say the production there was adequate. Mm. The real show was the K-Love Awards at uh, the Grand Old Opry. That's oh, their big right. award show. Thoroughly professional, thoroughly expert. Some of the best sound quality I've ever heard in a venue. Mm. 
that was amazing. And so I was super impressed with the production. But even in the ballroom, it's just such a massive space. Uh, about 4,400 people. It sells out every year. In fact, Adam and Tina are going with us next year. They're going to make the trip with us. Uh, we already registered. And it was I didn't expect it to have the spiritual impact it did. I thought it was going to be just a good weekend mm-hmm. of good music, some great worship. Turned out to Annette and I both were deeply, deeply impacted by it spiritually. And we came away encouraged and lifted and kind of restored my appreciation for Christian music because I had kind of gotten fried when I was in Nashville on Christian music. So Well, and the contemporary Christian world has really kind of morphed into the the modern worship world as well. They've really Absolutely. melded together. That's you know, very you get true. Elevation being like artist of the year, you know, know that yeah. kind of world. It, it's wild to consider that. I mean, well, what, 25 years ago, Hillsong was a big deal. They were it. Yeah. Maranatha music, yeah. you know, but they stuff. never were they in the really CCM world. Uh-uh. You're right. Yeah. It was a whole different thing. And I think, um, I think there's good and bad to that. Obviously I think the good is that it's now, created space for a genre of music that people can go to the church and go, Oh my gosh, I heard that on the radio. I'm familiar. I already know this song Yeah. or, and, and but I think the, the, the danger zone and, and anybody in that world would tell you this. And I've had conversations with several artists who would say the downside of it is that it has, again, it's become lucrative. Uh, it <laughs> yeah. makes, it makes the production, it makes the companies, the labels, a lot of money. Mm-hmm which many of the artists never see. And so Adam's trying to do some, some inside out work to flip the script on that. He probably told you what he's doing with his platform and value for value in in the music world Mm -hmm. as well, not just podcasting, but incorporating that. So, um, and we're, we've, we've talked with several bands and band members about that and the potential of that. Um, So there's good and bad to these things. You know, there's always a trade off, right? when, when things kind of go viral or go global or go, or get famous. And so, but what I saw there and in some of the sidebar conversations with some of the artists, very level headed, very solid. I feel like there's a health there that there wasn't maybe 10 years Mm -hmm. ago when I worked for Dave Ramsey, which is what I did before I came here to Fredericksburg. I was with with Ramsey solutions what did you do um, there? What was your job? I was a part of, I was with, obviously, because of my background as a pastor, I was with the church department. So okay. we did the Financial Peace University. We sold Financial Peace. Mm. We supplied to churches. And then we would counsel and consult with churches to help them put on that program. And it was amazing. I mean, it's a great culture to work for. Interesting enough, being in Nashville, Tennessee, that I would say a very high percentage of the employees at Ramsey Solutions, now over a thousand employees, are ex-CCM band members, artists. I mean, right. there's so many artists in Nashville. Well, because it's a steady paycheck. Oh, right. You, like you don't have to travel as much. as glamorous <laughs> as it looks. Yeah. looks glamorous on concert night, but other mm-hmm. than that, it's brutal. It's a brutal way to make a living, and most never make it. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, me and Adam is, have become pretty good friends with most of the guys from Mercy Me and uh, gotten close to those guys and going to be doing some things with them down the road. But as we've gotten to know them, they've been in the business 30 years and they've, they've found, they've found um, their niche and they, they've done well and mm-hmm. continue to I mean, yeah. group, of, group of the year this year. So after 30 that years, that is wild to consider. You've been around that long solid. and then they're just still massive. Yeah. 
asked my, Michael Schuzer, he's one of the lead guitar mm-hmm. players. I said, Michael, how have you guys in a world where, you know, one hit wonders are, are the norm. How have y'all stayed together for 30 years as the original band? The only, there's only one band member change that they've had. It was a keyboard player. Hmm. Uh, that wasn't that's, but they're all together still. And well, they said, had a dynamite one hit. Also, they did, and that <laughs> launched them. And that oh, was yeah. a, such a god thing. Oh, and yeah. Amy Grant had a big hand in that, mm-hmm. really launching them with that. Michael W. Smith as well, but helped them with that. And uh, but yeah, once that launched, mm-hmm. uh, the beautiful thing is they've been able to follow it up. Not everybody yeah. can do that, and they have continued to generate you know great hits. So Michael said basically, you know, we we've had great people in the industry around us. Not everybody gets that mm-hmm. luxury, so they've had good people around them they also don't see themselves as celebrities or a band. They see themselves as brothers. So they're family mm-hmm. first. And then the third thing was, um, I can't remember the third one. It was profound too, but the, the fourth one was my favorite. He said, and we all don't want to work real jobs. So that so was better why, work. That's why they stayed together. <laughs> right. We don't want to get real jobs. We like what we're doing. Yeah. So great guys. And uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of cool things happen. <laughs> that that's very cool. There's Mr. Chevy. There's the truck. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Pastor Jimmy, I really appreciate your your time and uh, being willing to lay it out here. Um, That's been fun. Any last? Good getting to know you, Craig. And man, I'm so sorry I didn't get to say hi to you and hug your neck and high five you when you came through. But next Next time time. we'll make sure that happens. Next time we will absolutely for sure. Um, No, thank you. Do you have any? uh, any other plan you're just going to abandon the social media so what is the best way for people to reach you if you if they want to oh, well, just I mean, obviously through we'll the check, podcast yeah we'll check our website mm-hmm. living up in a down world.com's best way to find us we i post my daily devos on there but all of our episodes are on there and it's just a real easy to navigate website everything's there yeah and uh and, and we'll, we'll be checking that the way we look at the pot. In fact, somebody asked me today, will you be doing the podcast? I said, the podcast is personal church yeah. is work. And so we're going to continue to do what gives us life personally. So I'll be playing a lot of guitar and, and uh, doing podcasts. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll be checking on that and keeping up with that. Yeah. Wonderful. Jimmy Pruitt. I really appreciate your time. Um, thanks again. Hey, for do you want me to do, here. you want me to give you an outro? Yeah. Just kidding. (laughs) I think it's great. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Livingupinadownworld.com is where you can find the podcast with Pastor Jimmy and Annette. Thanks again, Pastor Jimmy, for hanging out. Thank you all for listening. Theinterviewpodcast.org is where you can find all these conversations and also where you can help support the show. Remember, all things are welcomed and much appreciated. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you on the next one. See you later.